How's it going, everybody? Josh here with Dedicated Health. Joining me today is... Hey, everyone. This is Joe Downing, physical therapist and co-owner at Valley Rehabilitation and Performance here in the Wabash Valley. Joe is one of my favorite physical therapists in the Valley because he actually is 100% on board with just trying to fix your problems and making sure you feel good. So why don't we hear a little bit from you, Joey? Tell us about your background. Okay, so I am a Terre Haute native, born and raised here in the Valley. Um, graduate of North High School back in the day, 2008. Uh, did my undergrad degree in exercise science at Indiana State. Uh, graduated in 2012 from there. Took a year hiatus. Um, got some stuff in uh, in line. My wife was finishing her master's. Supported her through that. Then took a trip down to the University of Evansville where I finished my doctorate of physical therapy. That was done in 2016. Um, from that time, I took a job with Union Hospital in Clinton, uh, being one of the evaluating therapists for that department. Two years went by, got promoted to basically direct the one of the clinics at South Terre Haute for Union Hospital. Um, had a great experience there, worked with a lot of great doctors, fantastic patients. Um, then during the pandemic, had an amazing opportunity with my business partner to kind of go at it on our own. We thought we could, you know, with, with the opportunity being furloughed, we had the opportunity to sit down and go, what does Terre Haute need? What can we fulfill for this community? Uh, and can we do it better than we're doing now? And so that's where we sat down over a six pack on my, my kitchen table and tried to dream up what would be perfect for the patient and what would that look like in a work-life balance for us? And could we do it? Can we make this work? Would people find value in what we're doing? And that was uh, all of April till October of last year. In October of last year, we saw our first patient. And since then, it's been a whirlwind. I look back every day going, how the heck did this happen? Um, how stupid were we for deciding to do this in the middle of a pandemic with a pregnant wife at home? Uh, my wife, not my partners. And uh, ever since then, we're just trying to, to get to the community, help them understand how physical therapy movement is actually medicine and, and what people can do to fix themselves with a little bit of guidance. That, that's kind of where I'm at. We, um, we specialize in two things, really, ortho and spine. Uh, physical therapy, there's a lot of things people can do within that field. However, our kind of passion and what we enjoy doing are those two things. So um, we specialize in that. Uh, my partner and I both um, are board certified orthopedic clinical specialist. Uh, two of only, I think, four in the Wabash Valley. Um, to put that in perspective, kind of brag a little bit. It's been um, since 1989, we've, we've signified in, in physical therapy, the American Physical Therapy Association, um, a specialist has so many requirements, um, either a residency program or hours working in that field, along with um, passing another boards exam. Uh, there's only been 200 and some since 1989, and we're two of those. So it's a rarity, but you, you have to get really good at ortho. You have to read all the research, and it takes a while to do it. Um, so we have the credentials to back up kind of what we're saying. And in today's podcast, um, I kind of just want to go off the cuff mm -hmm. of, of giving advice to patients um, you know, what, what I would say to a patient walking in, um, I got to preface this for my lawyer. Um, anything I say today is just advice. Every patient, um, if, if they're needing medical treatment, would need to be evaluated by appropriate uh, medical personnel. So everything today is just kind of what I would tell a patient if they were my patient in clinic. Awesome. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this, one of the reasons why we like fell in love with you guys is because your whole goal is to actually help which, I mean, it, it fits our core values, too. Our core values is to make sure when you come in here, you're getting the help you need and you're excelling. You're not just another number. 
um, which happens way too often. Um, and as we mentioned already, today's podcast is going to be about knee health. So we actually went out in the community and asked some people some uh, what they would like to hear. So if you're ready, I can start shooting these questions. Let's at you. shoot it off the cuff and see what comes my way. Okay, awesome. So the first question was actually from our very own Emily Hastings, and it was tips for recovering from a knee replacement. Okay, so let's kind of back up and go, well, what the heck happens during knee replacement? Um, up to that point of the knee replacement, the patient is dealing with, it was usually some type of end-stage arthritis, degenerative thing at the knee. We, we've, as a medical field, the doctor has determined that this knee cannot get any other treatment. It, it, it's too far gone. It could be for several reasons. Aging is common. Um, but it's determined at that point that we need to basically resurface the knee. Um, I've sat in on a couple of these surgeries. I've watched it done. I have helped people from um, prehab all the way until after. So this is a very, very common thing. But once we determine that a knee replacement is done, they, they then are in the surgery suite. Surgery is performed, and even directly after surgery, a physical therapist is going to be evaluating them in the hospital. I've seen people same day of surgery, and uh, it kind of freaks them out. They go, I'm getting up on my new knee. I go, well, low mileage, let's do this. Um, depending on the stage of recovery with the knee replacement, each goal is going to be different. You know, getting that patient up from the bed the first day, I'm like, let's see if we can get you to a chair. Let's see if we can teach you how to use this walker. You know, so early on, let's get them out of the hospital, get them home. And usually at that point, they're going to end up with a therapist like myself in an outpatient setting or maybe home health. Um, would you know if she was asking more long-term wise, like, like after she's already kind of back through rehab, kind of in the gym, is that more specific on her? So I was, we actually have a question like that later on. I okay. think this was more of like, um, right after, like, should they start moving right? Oh, away okay. Okay. Like so let's just, let's set a, let, um, let's set the scene. So say maybe they're like from home from the hospital. We're in maybe, th let's say three days post-op and that's pretty safe. Um, very early on, we're, we're working on motion as tolerated. Uh, specifically, you got to get the dang thing straight. Mm -hmm. Even post-op day zero. So in the day of surgery, I am educating that patient on, you need to start working it straight. After a surgery like that, it's very painful. I mean, I've, there's a reason they're on opiate medication for a period of time after the surgery. So it's everything is tolerated, but we got to let the patient know they're safe. When you have a knee replacement, and there's a couple different types, but the most common we see is what they call cement, that they're actually using medical grade adhesive to, to make that bone adhere to the, the prosthesis, the metal part. It's strong as it's ever going to be day one. And so patients need to know that, hey, your knee is strong. The doc is allowing you to walk on it. These bones are strong, but everything we had to do surgically to get to that knee, that's going to be painful. And a lot of times I need to just help educate and manage that patient with them going, it's okay, and, and coach them through it. But no, usually after a knee replacement, you're going to have some therapists on board guide, guide you through that process. Um, as long as you're listening to your body and you're not going from like a 7 out of 10 pain to a 10 out of 10 in tears, you're usually not doing too much. But it is safe to move a knee after surgery. Um, I would recommend anybody not go at it completely alone. Maybe they're working with um, telehealth with a therapist or something. But someone that's been there, they've done this. We know what looks normal. We know what looks abnormal. Really, as a physical therapist, you're coaching that patient along. There's not a lot of hands-on needed early on, but you're just giving them what they need and, and coaching through it and, and being really a voice of a uh, reason to them because they're going through one of the toughest things they've ever gone through. Yeah, especially like our lower extremities, just that just walks its way all the way up our body. So when that's causing problems, there's always other problems. Um, now Absolutely. to go a little bit deeper in what you were referring to like later on, um, when do you feel like it is appropriate to start training after a knee replacement and, um, should you ever squat again? Okay. So training depends on the stage of healing. 
So we know whether we cut our knee or we're going to do a like scrape it or um, more invasively, we go in and replace the knee. There are timelines for tissue healing. Uh, let's let's use a different body part that people experience all the time, and they understand there's a timeline. Um, you cut your arm, and you're like, okay, I got a bandage on the sucker. The ends are together. It's going to grow back together with a nice little scab. Well, I wouldn't early on go and start rubbing that skin. It needs time to heal. Um, we know that if two phases of time, it'll be fine. Uh, a better analogy for a cut would be the back of your knuckle. You cut that, and oh, dang it. You put pressure on it, you put a bandage on it, you splint a little bit. You know that right now you shouldn't bend that, that, that finger. is going to start bleeding, but with due time, you'll get back to it. Same things with knees. So I'll personally, with a patient that's had a knee replacement, one of the first things I do is I go, we're getting off the table. This knee is a weight-bearing joint. It is made to bear weight. And yes, it's painful, but we can modify that. We can, we can use our hands to take a little bit of weight off. Um, you know, maybe a squat, for example. A lot, a lot of times I got to get back to squatting. So squatting is safe and good for your knees. And I want to go in that a little more in depth. Don't let me forget, please. I, I tend to get off track. It's all about timing. You know, that, that bone is now learning how to get along with that new prosthesis that's put in. Um, the tissue's going over the top of the knee. You're going to learn to bend again. They just had surgery. Um, but early on, I mean, week, week two, week one even, depending on the patient, I got to meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. uh, they have fears too. Right? They have a new knee. They don't know what it can do. Um, I'll start simple as sit to stand at a kitchen counter. Like use your hands, pull on that sink, make your legs do work. That's tolerated, but let's start squatting. That's a normal body movement that that knee's gonna need to squat again. So early on, I'll start strength training them. Um, did that answer that question before yeah, I, before I go on to squatting? Um, so let's look at knees in general with squatting. A lot of times patients say, well, my doc told me not to be aggressive with this knee. And to a degree, we have to say, well, what is aggressive? Right now, the current standard, which is being challenged, I must say this, and um, right now the standard is no real high impact to a joint replacement, even years down the road. And that's starting to be challenged. And the reason we think we have to stay away from low impact is, you know, where the interface of that the prosthesis meets the knee, well, we could loosen it. We could loosen the hardware, what they refer to as mechanical loosening. So you would think, well, if I'm running on it and giving all that vibration, I'm going to break it loose. Now, there is some case reports. Um, it's not really randomized control trials or meta-analysis. These are big words that we use in medicine to really get good information. But there's some anecdotal evidence in, in case reports, meaning individual people who get back to running marathons, get back to rock climbing with a knee replacement. And there was one, I'm going to, if, if I misquote today, but I did read this study and, and, and I read a lot of studies getting board certified. But in this one, they compared two groups of people, one group of people that did what they call contemporary care. Stay active, keep walking. The things you would think that a doctor would tell a little old lady, but you know, they're not little old ladies, they're just people, mm -hmm. is you need to be careful on this thing. And they followed them through 10 years, that group of patients, it could have been either gender, not to get on genders and get myself in trouble here. But they also looked at another group of patients who go, you know what? Forget what you say. I'm going to live my life. I enjoy running. I enjoy rock climbing. And if it so happens to hurt my knee, we'll, we'll replace my knee. But my quality of life requires me to move. And they looked at this, these two groups, and it wasn't huge. And this is kind of anecdotal to a bit, but they were documented. What was funny is they tracked how many patients are going to have a mechanical loosening, which means you have to have another knee replacement, mm -hmm. is what it means. Um, the hardware is jiggling around in there, for lack of a better term. The group that was active, and none of them had to have revision. Two people in that other group that were living contemporary and, and just living life need a knee replacement again. So I questioned if both groups were as active, well, maybe, maybe we need to challenge this. But the hard part about doing research with that, you got to tell someone it's a risk factor. And who wants to be part of that study group? Mm -hmm. So, so 
there's something to be said with that. Now, the way I look at joint replacements is you got to live your quality of life. And, and an old professor of mine, Phil Plisky, he said it's easier to replace the knee again than it is the heart. Mm-hmm. So stay active. Don't let that be an excuse for your activity level. But you should go into it methodically. Um, some of the best research, seriously, and, and I, I'm going to say research. If anybody wants the, the documents, please let Josh know. I will provide them. I'll find them on the Internet. I just, I've read so much that I, I can't quote the author's. Um, I took away what was the meat and potatoes of the research, though. One of the best things you can do for knee replacement that the research is very evident on, not even knee replacement, even knee arthritis before it gets to a surgery, one of the absolute best things you can do is strengthen your quads and glutes. Now, to do that, it's kind of kind of be hard if you're not squatting, mm-hmm. if you're not truly using those muscles. A squat is a brilliant body movement that works for most body parts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a common topic in PT. It's like, well, if you had to pick three exercises, what would they be for the rest of your life? Yeah. And by far and large way, squats always in my group. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on the year or what the patient is, I'm like, eh, it might change the next two. But squatting or variation of a squat, a picking up thing, is a normal movement. And it uses a lot of the body. You look at big, huge bodybuilders. How much core work do they do? As far as like, I'm going to sit and do sit-ups. Very little. Yet the weight they're putting through their back, through their spine, down to those knees, through the ankles, is being supported by the abdominal musculature. You use the whole body. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, it's not COVID. Um, so squatting is, I wouldn't only say it's good. I recommend it. And I, 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 when my patients wrap up care with me, I go, you got to move your meat wagon the rest of your life. So which ones can you do and will you do? So squatting is healthy. I wouldn't put a patient that's just had an ear placement on a 300-pound squat. Mm-hmm. However, I've had a patient come in when I was my first few years of practice. I came in with um, a referral, just had a knee replacement, like, I don't know, within that month, within the month. And this guy was huge. He was jacked. And he walked in. He had sweatpants on. I'm like, I can't even tell what knee's done. And I go, what have you been doing for this thing? It's moving pretty good. He goes, well, I've been squatting. I go, okay, so I'm like a chair, bed high. He goes, no, with weights. I go, like free weights? He goes, yeah, bar. Back squat? Yeah. I go, what weight? He goes, 315. <laughs> he was literally squatting. Well, he told me he could have been lying, but I, I tend to believe everybody's honest. Mm-hmm. He was squatting 315 within a, about a month. I know I know it was less than six weeks from a knee replacement. So it's like these things are pretty strong. And being in the room and seeing them put in there, it's not a gentle procedure. It's supposed to last you the rest of your life, we hope. Better be strong. It's titanium. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they chose the materials they chose. It's not meant to give out in three three days. Exactly. Um, that actually answers uh, the other question that I had was, uh, does squatting hurt your knee? But. No, no, no. And I'll challenge anybody that says it does. Any one thing. So let's get on a topic here with squatting. Um, me and Adam, my partner, we're kind of talking about this podcast where he came in. I go, what, anything you want me to cover? He goes, movement is medicine. I go, be more specific. He goes, you need to kind of educate any of the listeners on what the heck we mean by movement is medicine. If Scientifically, I'm going to say a big word now that people want to Google. Um, it's a good long word. Mechanotransduction. Now, I actually shared an article with you, Josh, on this not too long ago. It was a good read. It's how our bodies heal. So let's just give an analogy of muscle. A lot of people working at the gym, they have muscles. They know that doing bench press, my chest gets bigger. Do push-ups, do bicep curls, my biceps get bigger. Look at John's arms out there. Jeez Louise, that guy's Mm -hmm. arms the size of my thighs. But he is, to get that, it's very, I mean, scientifically straightforward. He has put a tensile force through his muscle, meaning pulling. It has caused the muscles to respond, adapt, and then in turn, 
it goes through some changes on a cellular level and, and his muscles grow in size. And the same thing with any, any person, regardless of age, regardless of age or gender. Meaning if you're 95, you can still respond to this. Mm -hmm. Your body's tissues were made to respond. Think about the uh, marathon runner. Um, I, I recently ran a marathon and it, it kicked your butt, literally. People say running, uh, hitting 20 miles, hitting the wall. No, it's entering hell. <laughs> um, and the demons are coming to talk to you. But my body started out where I couldn't even, couldn't run a mile. Literally, I was sedentary last January 3rd. It's a very specific date because it was my wife's birthday. I remember literally walking for 20 minutes yet and my heart rate was 180. I on a treadmill. I felt pretty disgusted by myself. Fast forward, I could run 26 miles and my heart never got above probably 160. Point being is the tissues adapt and they adapt it to the physical stress. Now, if we go to knees, let's get back into the knees. A lot of patients go, oh, it's my wear and tear. I go, BS. BS. What happens on the cellular level in the knee? Well, when you do a squat, you're putting force through the bone and the muscles are pulling you. Now there's things in between the bones. We call it cartilage and meniscus and things like these. They all serve purposes in the knee. But what happens with cartilage when you load it accordingly is it responds. It, it goes through a change that's that force put through that material made the material more resilient. And it was only done by putting that force, aka weight and movement, through that material. It became more resilient for whatever it's made to do. Cartilage is made to load and glide. Muscles are made to pull. Bones are made to withstand, withstand a compression force. People with osteoporosis, thin bones, okay? Think about a piece of cheese and Swiss cheese. It's very porous in nature. Um, I'll get these patients that come in and they go, well, my, my doctor put me on medication. I go, do you know what for? They said it makes my bones denser and stronger. I go, well, yeah, it, it's actually on a, on, on a scientific level, it's stimulating most of the time osteoblasts, the bones that build bone or the cells that build bone. And so you get this crumbling bone become denser again. Putting force through your bone does the exact same thing. Putting actual weight through your bones will stimulate that cell to make more bone. One of the best treatments, and, and there's research on this, one of the best treatments to make your bones denser is use the suckers, but it has to be in a weight bearing activity. Mm -hmm. And it is a dose response. You walking, your bones will respond to that walking force. You put a weight vest on and walk, it'll respond to that. I've helped patients actually, so, so the gold standard, let's, I'm off topic here. Gold standard for bone density is a DEXA scan. Mm -hmm. They put you on table, they scan you, you go, oh, well, your pores here and here, and they compare you to numbers and you get labeled as normal. Osteopenia, thinning, osteoporosis, well, we're, we're in the zone now, you're, you're having problems. I've had a patient, this was um, four years ago, she broke her, her tibial plateau, part of me actually. And she goes, I'm in my 50s. This ain't going to cut it for the rest of my life. I go, okay. She goes, what do we do? I go, well, come back next time. I'll have some answers for you. I'm the current best research. And she came back within three days. And luckily, I was in a hospital. So I ran to the pharmacist. I go, let's talk. I know pharmacology can help here. And kind of went over what he knows. And then I got online and found some research articles. And in this one study, within 12 weeks of resistance training, three days a week, in addition to the medication, they went from osteoporotic to osteopenia, to normal. The bones reverse back to normal. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. That gives our 90-year-old little lady some hope here. Yeah. But also, we can prevent them from becoming osteoporotic in the meantime. That's a long way of answering squatting back for these, but no, every tissue should be stressed accordingly. It will respond. And that's where PTs, we, we have our niche there. If you have movement problems, you need movement treatment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, the PT is, is going to be the one sought after when there's pain, because pain makes them enter the medical system. But once we get them out of pain, like uh, little Miss Betty here, uh, that was my grandma's name, that's why I picked that one. Mm -hmm. She came to me, had a fracture from an osteoporotic issue, 
maybe some arthritis as well. Well, she got out of pain. She's safe now. But now we got to do something with her long term because if you reverse load, the body will go back to the way it was. It only adapts to the stimulation put in front of it. That's why I have to get them to a gym or I have to get them to a trainer. I have to get them to change their daily life or, or they're going to go back to where they were. And so it's a spectrum of, of getting there. So patients or clients in a gym, they need to load their body. They need to load it often enough to cause a change. A lot of times people will go to the gym this time of year. January 1's coming up because now these goals got to lose weight. But as soon as they stop after that third week, guess what? That weight loss stops. Mm-hmm. They want to be healthier. They want to be able to climb the stairs and play with their kids and not be out of breath. And wow, they're working out for six weeks. And it's like, I feel good. And life happens. Trust me, I get. I got two kids. Like Life happens. And they get off that course. But if they would have stuck to it, they'd have maintained. They actually probably got even better. You know, you put, put an extra five pound plate on the bar. Let's go out. Let's have some fun. The, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And that's the one thing that got me into this field too, like sports medicine and stuff along that line is just people don't realize that the very, very uh, rudimentary cause of everything is your body is designed to adapt. Absolutely. It will adapt fairly quickly too. And it's just uh, astonishing. Like it's amazing how adaptable we are. And, and part of that problem too is in Western cultures. Um, and by the way, this is not a knock at Western medicine. Um, if I get sick, I love those doctors. If I have my bone broken in half, I love those doctors. They, they put it back together. But a lot of times, MDs are not taught about, they don't have time. Mm-hmm. They don't get a good enough education on the body's adaptation to appropriate stimulus. They're, taught, they're not taught too much. They're taught enough about biologies. And they look at tissues as tissues that are something wrong. Um, you know, think about a knee. First thing a doctor's going to do for a knee is do an x-ray. Now, that's not bad. Let's make sure it's not broken. But what if we have Jack and he comes in the office and, and he, I have this knee pain after playing golf. 18 holes killed me. To give an accent there. <laughs> Doc x-rays a knee. And it's like, oh, my God, that has arthritis. I'm like, okay. But what changed that it now hurts? Because arthritis is a long-term developing thing. It doesn't pop up overnight. Mm-hmm. There's risk factors for it. There's genetics. But he's had that. But why did it hurt today? Well, Jack took that knee and walked 18 holes. He hadn't done that all winter. Springtime's get back out. In the United States, we, we feel like we have to do something. And, and medical doctors are trained to treat the tissues. They look at it, what do I need to do or what medication do I need to do to bring this back to homeostasis? Hey, Jack, you walked 18 holes. That uh, cartilage on your knees and the meniscus and everything else wasn't used to walking 18 holes. And now you just did it. The solution would be get him calm back down. And start loading accordingly to where he doesn't have symptoms, but we produce a therapeutic response with the end goal of walking 18 holes. Let's start trying to walk three. How did that go? Great. Let's walk four. They're just not taught in this thought process. And if you think about the diseases in the United States, Western medicine doesn't have a fix for it because there's no pill for it. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you one thing. If exercise was a pill, everybody would be on it. Yes. But it's not. And, and people know they need to exercise. People know they need to watch their diet. It's hard to do in our society. But you got to keep yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you would just list all the pros and cons for exercise down a thing, and we could look anywhere from mental health to physical health, by far in a large way, moving your meat wagon has a good outcome on everybody for you and your mental. That's one reason I picked up running because my stress went super high with my second kid hanging home from the NICU. It's medicine. It's how I manage it. Mm-hmm. However, we're just not trained that. Medicine's not typically trained that. I mean, my uh, area of expertise is human movement. I'm used to, like, I'm a human movement doctor. When people come to my office and they see the DR before my name, I go, I'm a human movement guy. That's it. I'm very bad at managing medications. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we have a doctor for that. 
However, the first line of defense a lot of times for a patient is their primary care doctor. They're not, not bad people, but they're not trained in human movement. And the good, the good PCPs, primary care physicians, have a good enough understanding to go, hey, listen, you hurt this moving, all right? You're not broken. We took an x-ray of you. You're okay. There was no trauma, yet you hurt to move. Let's send you to the movement expert to kind of figure this out first. Some patients are very hesitant on that. They go, you're not listening. They go, no, we know medicine. We're trying to give you what you need, not just what you want. Everybody wants a pill. Mm -hmm. It's easy. I had a lady yesterday, sweet lady. Her hip hurts. She goes, my hip hurts. I'm like, yeah, I know. It hurt last time I saw you too. <laughs> come here. And one thing she said, she said, I didn't want to come here today. I go, then why are you here? No, seriously, why are you here? I go, you don't have to be here. You're an adult. She goes, my hip hurts. And they won't, no one will do anything else for me. I go, well, what do you think you need? Because patients, they have opinions too. Mm -hmm. I need a pill. I go, how is a pill going to make it easy to walk on the hip? I go, we're in a current state of a, of a pandemic or epidemic in the United States with opiates. We did this to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could mask the symptom. Everybody's fine if they're stoned. Yes. But we didn't treat the problem. And I deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis. I work with a lot of pain management doctors that are having to have that first conversation. Then the patient's coming in to me, crossed arms, going, well, they won't give me my meds until you see me. I'm like, well, calm down, Skippy. Let's see if there's anything I can help you with. I go, so you don't need them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start pulling off the onions, onion layers, and they're starting to feel better, and then we get it accomplished. But the problem is, Movement is medicine. The research supports it. The research, you know, there's so much in our field. I'm blessed to come into PT when, I, when I'm here because uh, it wasn't always this way. PTs in the 90s and early 2000s figured out, hey, if we want to be respected, we better do research. We better figure out if this stuff actually works compared to placebos, compared to other things. And from that time, it's been an amazing profession to be in. You know, I think one day we'll see physical therapists. We're starting to see it now, but be the one you will go to with human movement. You won't go to your doctor, your family doctor. Um, in the state of Indiana, uh, we were the last state, but we have direct access now. I see people off the street. It's like, I'm, I'm trained enough to tell if you're not appropriate. Mm -hmm. You come to me and you, I had this knee pain and I fell off a horse and I'm 55 and I can't walk on it. Well, maybe we should get you out of my office and get you to somewhere that can do an x-ray. <laughs> right? We, we work, we're trained in, in, in ruling out red flags and things like that. And the one thing I always tell young students while I'm working on them, I go, if it looks like a fish and smells like a fish, it's probably a fish. Mm -hmm. All right. So just be confident what you're doing. If you don't find a mentor that can help you. Anyway, long ramble on squatting, but movement is good for your knees. If you're hurting with squatting, it might be just not doing it right form wise, or maybe your load is not appropriate for where you're at. You know, if you've never squatted mm -hmm. and you throw 135 on the bar, you just increased your loading on squat by a lot. Yes. That's too much. Back it back down. Let's make sure your form's good. Let's make sure your dosage is right. You wouldn't take a whole bottle of blood pressure meds at once. You would dose it accordingly with what the doctor found was appropriate. Same thing with movement. It has to be the right dosage. And sometimes that dosage is too much and we need to lower it back down and reevaluate. I, uh, I completely agree. Like I'm one of the biggest advocates of bodyweight squats. If you never worked out before, bodyweight squats are your friends. Like even if you squat to a chair, like it is an amazing movement that we just lose over time. Oh yeah, so many patients, I mean, think about the lift chair. Um, I had a patient, well, I like my lift chair. I go, I love them too, they're great for business. Because if you're not used to lifting your butt up off a chair, and that's your only <laughs> exercise, you're gonna lose it. I had a lady come into the clinic that, um, you know, she took a couple of visits to build rapport, but she was, I, I, all this came to a head, Joe, when I got stuck on a toilet for an hour in a bathroom at a restaurant. 
she lost the ability to lift her butt off the chair. Now, some people go, that's silly, because, you know, we're talking a lot of gym rats right now. But it's part of life where if you don't use it, you lose it. And that was her biggest goal. And I go, okay, what restaurant was it? And literally, our, our end game was, I go, you're going to go there, or I'm going to take you there, and we're going to go on that toilet. I go, I really don't want to go in the women's room. I go, but I need you to make sure you can do that. And we could recreate it in the clinic. I could lower the plinth of the table height. But for her to know she overcame that challenge, she did. She's fine. And I guarantee she will never stop squatting as long as she lives. Which is very important. Yeah. Actually, um, the next question is one that I've had, um, that I've heard a lot of debate on recently. Sure. It's uh, knees over toes with progressive overload. So there's this whole new theory out there. Like, obviously growing up, you hear never have your knees go over your toes. Like, that's the number one thing that you hear all the time when it comes to squatting. Uh, but there's this new guy whose literal name is knees over toes. Mm-hmm. I've heard about him. I don't really know a lot of stuff. Um, but what's your opinion of that? And, and I'm, I want to clarify there. That means that your knees go past your toes in a squatting motion? Correct. Cool. Have you ever been around a toddler? Yes. Okay. If you want to look at human movement at its finest, look at Pete's. Um I have, I'm blessed to have a one-year-old um, right now who is learning to walk. And I have a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old who has dominated walking and now we're great at throwing things and running. We try too much to make it too um, complex. Mm-hmm. It's not. The most rudimentary movement is children that are typically developing. Now, thank God and bless God for pediatric therapists. Mm-hmm. They're the most underpaid therapist ever and they do the most work. You can't have a treatment plan. You'd run into the therapy going, what are we going to do today, kids? <laughs> but if you watch kids move, they squat anywhere they can squat. Then they can kneel. Now, they're learning a movement pattern, and actually their body's going to adapt to that, and they'll develop their um, wrists and their arms and stuff, the way they crawl around and move. But if I watched my, my two-year-old last night just sit and squat, and his knees are way past his toes as he's watching Frozen and sipping out his, his, his milk out of his cup. So nose or toes, to, knees over toes is fine. The bigger thing I would have with that is if you've never squ- squat like that, mm-hmm. let's make a plane to squat like that. Let's, again, back to load it appropriately and learn that. Um, yeah, the knee's made to move. You can move any way you want. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think um, it's totally healthy. I've not seen any research to prove it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with this gentleman. But maybe he's going through rudimentary, um, rudimentary movement patterns, getting people back to moving how they normally moved. I mean, think about... in in. You know, the gyms, how much research we've had established. You know, thank God for the American College of Sports Medicine to kind of guide us a little bit on a lot of the stuff. Uh, that's where I got my original training in exercise science. But we know a lot of things we used to do, we don't do. In weight rooms, in medicine, we don't use leeches too much anymore. Um, you know, in, in physical therapy, to get, not get too far off topic, we used to use a lot of passive treatments, hot packs, ultrasounds, uh, E-STEM, where just mm, shocks you, makes you feel good. It's all bull crap and bad for you. <laughs> uh, and, and anybody that wants to challenge me that I'd be happy to sit down and go let's go through the research because I know the research I know the clinical practice guidelines I review them consistently I, I had to know them to, to get my board specialty in orthopedics mm-hmm. there's almost no use for it almost no support unless you're the guy selling that equipment true and I mean just the research is research and again you want to challenge it let's sit down and go for some articles together um, but knees over toes is fine uh, I can I see no, nothing harm, no harm, no harm. It would be more about um, let's have a treatment program that um, fits the patient's goals. What do you want to accomplish at the gym? If it's I want to get up off the floor, which requires a squat or, my, or a lunge where my knee's going to go over my toes, fine, let's work on that. No big deal. I, uh, I 
the way he explains it, he he is very big on progressive overload, um, and it, that's basically how he breaks it down. Is like you're going obviously if you're not used to this pattern, you got to get used to this pattern before you can add any guys. Absolutely. Um, he's a good guy to follow too, and I'm glad we could clear that up. Uh, and then let's see here, you have that one. Um, okay, so here's one that we get asked all the time. Sure. Um, this is just general. It's not surgery. He didn't say anything about surgery. He just says, should you fight the pain or stop when it hurts? Okay. So we needed to define loading tissue versus injured tissue. Um, let's start with a word called inflammation. Everybody knows that word. Nobody knows what it means, it seems, in general population. I think one reason we know that word is because we're of two countries in the world that advertise medication. Seriously, this is New Zealand and the United States. Really? That's it. They're only two. That. Yeah, get on TV. You'll hear two will leave you be fine all day. So people constantly hear that word inflammation and don't really understand what it means or respect it. Inflammation is a normal process. It's when inflammation gets ramped out of control, we got an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing people like to do is take pills. Um, but the inflammatory cycle is how we heal. And so I need it. Like when I got COVID last year, I needed that, that process to occur so I didn't die. Mm-hmm. I need to fight something off. But also your tissues go through it. So with regards to pain, and anybody that's ever exercised has had a set that sucked. Um, the hydrogen kind of hurts the nerve endings. We don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is short gone. So the no pain, no gain works for training as long as we set parameters. Um, let me give you an injury since, you know, we had to find a pain thing. Maybe a patient has uh, had a patellar, which is your quad uh, tendon to your knee. Mm-hmm. Now, this patient has a chronic history. Every time they load it, it hurts. Well, as far as the research for tendons go, if you want to look up quality research, look up a lady named Jill Cook. She's almost cited on everything. She's a queen of tendons. The one thing, and I've, I've not ever had the pleasure of meeting her, but I've read her stuff, and she's almost cited on everything. Um, the number one thing you can do to fix a tendon, honestly, and the research to support it, and my practice, I mean, I see it happen all the time, so I believe it's true to load it. But you have to load it accordingly. Back to that big, long word, mechanotransduction, right? You're stimulating the tissue to heal itself. If you want to go look it up with tendons, what actually happens is that that tensile force, you're deforming the tissues and making it respond. Mm-hmm. Now, with the tendon, specific in the knee, the patient goes, it hurts to squat. And we have to assess them because a lot of times multiple things going on a knee can mm-hmm. present the same way. So, like, if I was going to have a patient come in, so say they have knee pain, I'm going, all right, I got to classify this thing. All right. And what I mean by that is knee pain is knee pain until you diagnose it. Think about the ER and a heart attack. Mm-hmm. You go to the ER and go, I have chest pain. They don't go. All right, got another one with chest pain. They subclassify it, a.k.a. diagnose it. Well, how do they do that? They assess it. Strap an EKG to this man. That's clear. Okay, heart attack's off the table. I said an x-ray. Oh, no, no pulmonary embolism. Oh, we got some spicy food. I think we got some... Uh, good old heartburn. We got some heartburn here. <laughs> but you subclassify that. Same way with the knee. When a patient comes to me, I go, all right, well, first I have to make sure it is the knee because about 25% of people with knee pain, it's not the source of pain. It's somewhere else in their body, but it's referred there. For example, there's a study called the XPOS study that shows, and it's being replicated, I need a bigger sample size, but the, the findings were still relevant, that 25% of patients with knee pain need to look more north to the back. So first thing you do is make sure knee pain is knee pain. And then if it is knee pain, what is it? If you get to a tendon, and that patient needs to load the tendon to fix it, well, what's the dosage? Very commonly, it's you need to produce your pain, because that means you're stimulating the tendon, mm-hmm. but it's not lingering. Then you're setting into an inflammatory cycle, possibly. Mm-hmm. So for knee, like tendon pain, let's just say it was tendon pain. I need to load it frequently enough. And early on, I'll just say, hey, f- twice a day, 
I want you to do this move. It might be what we call a long arm quad or really person like a leg extension machine. It's very common. Every time they do that, it produces that pain right on that tendon. And then they stop the contraction. It goes away. I go, do six, seven more. And every single time it's produced, but when they're done, they're no worse. And within 10 minutes, their knees like it was before we ever loaded it. That's appropriate pain for a tendon issue. Now, uh, you have a patient. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I'll give a story on a patient that didn't that kind of did this. I was working as a student in, in Princeton uh, General Hospital at Star One and I had an inmate. He was a gel inmate and we were working on his ankle and we had to load the Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, mate. I go, we need to do this many reps this often. Well, he thought if a little good is good, a lot's great. He did about 500. Oh, Set off a whole inflammatory reaction. I go, man, I go, you just took us two steps back. I go, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're dedicated to working on this. I go, but you have to understand that too much of a good thing is not right. And we need to, yeah, we're going to need to increase reps and force to keep this tendon healing. But in due time, as long as we listen to the rules of produce that no worse and we load it accordingly and never overload a, a structure, we'll be fine. You know, the overload principle. You make that tendon have some resiliency. So in that answer, pain's not bad. Completely. If that's what we, if we have parameters. But if I have a patient who goes, every time I go to the gym, I exercise, I'm sore for four days. I'm going, nope, that's wrong. We've got to fix that. Mm-hmm. we got to figure out why you're having that issue. If movement is hurting, we got to figure out what we do with movement to fix it. Whether it is changing the, the load, you know, whether we are finding that, hey, you're not moving well in that knee and that's why. Or maybe that patient is squatting like crap because they have no ankle dorsiflexion. Mm-hmm. And I go, oh, you see how your, your, your leg is valgusing in because uh, you're squatting like crap? It's because something's not moving or they don't have the motor program to control that motion pattern. Really, it's one of two things. But you have to figure that out. That's, that's where the bread and butter in my career with my, my extensive learning has been is to figure out why do people hurt to move? What could explain this? And more importantly, what the heck do we need to do with their training to get them better? And you come up with a plan, use the best evidence, and boom, you got it. But usually pain is it's, it's – it's it's when you're having pain, mm-hmm. that's your alarm going off. Okay? Now – is something going wrong? Well, I don't know if my smoke detector is going off because I have a house fire. I got a problem. <laughs> if I burn some popcorn, well, my alarm's telling me something, but it's less of a um, emergency. Yeah, it's like okay, well, maybe I should get a new bag of popcorn out. So pain is your is your nervous system telling you something's not right here, especially if it feels opposite. But then you have to figure out, well, what does that mean? You're feeling this, but what does it mean? Does it mean we're we're loading a tendon down that needs loaded, or does it mean that you are squatting like crap and you're you're irritating some some tissues around the knee? Or back or wherever. Gotcha. So basically, like some pain, as long as it's not lingering, is a normal response. To yeah. Tendon. Yeah. You know, it's all for tendon, but in, any any tissue. Remember, when we're loading tissue, we're trying to cause them to change. Mm-hmm. Too many times in the gym, though, um, we're focusing on loading muscles. Mm-hmm. Right. That's. The, I mean, be honest. I mean, yeah, everybody likes to look good with a shirt off or with no clothes on. Um, and so we're we're constantly loading these these muscles down. And we wonder, you know, is a knee joint? Is it okay? Muscles adapt faster than other tissues. Mm-hmm. They're big, beefy, and red. And as long as you suck down enough water, enough protein, enough um, uh, glucose, your body has the program to do what it needs to do. However, sometimes the underneath tissues that have to support you while you're exercising, you're pushing too fast. You're pushing too it. Yes, you can do that, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yes. So some pain, as long as it doesn't linger, like pain with exercise is fine. But if you go to the gym and next day you're waking up and you can't walk down your stairs, not because of DOMS, we've all had muscle soreness because, you know, Leg day sucks. Mm-hmm. But if you're truly having some some pain in one, like, for example, say you're squatting and now your right knee's killing you, but your left's not, why are you unbalanced? Why is that right knee hurting? If it would be like, a, I'm sore all over, it gets better in a couple of days, but I had a really hard day at the gym to explain it, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But you're having pain that's lingering at rest, that's usually not a good sign. 
Yeah. That, that'd be a big one there. Pain at rest. Because if you're aching at rest, I mean, you know, if, you, if you've had a gym day, you can sit down and feel pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's when you have to get off the toilet that hurts. Yes. But if you're lingering around at rest, that means you're irritating tissues because you're not stressing them when you're resting. They're just there for the most part. That being said, there's some back pain issues with postures that can make it irritated. But for a knee, if you're resting, it shouldn't be hurting if you're if you're dosing accordingly. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I'm not moving yet. You shouldn't be hurting me right now. I mean, the joint shouldn't. You're not putting weight through it. Um, so this kind of goes along the lines, and this is under a normal population, so no previous injuries. Cool. So only two more questions. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, Warm-up movements for the lower body. Uh, so more specifically, how much warm-up is adequate? Is it based on the individual? Is there like research showing how long you should warm-up? Um, okay. I, I'm, the research for time, I'm not sure. Uh, the research will show for injury prevention and for um, best performance, a dynamic warm-up. You should not be statically stretching before you're lifting. And if you are doing that, you are hampering your performance. The research is clear on this. Mm-hmm. So dynamic warm-up where you're moving. Maybe you're moving toward end ranges, but you're not stagnantly holding there. You're not doing your typical hamstring stretch. Like, hey, I'm doing some, some lunge walking, some pivoting hit at the hip. You're doing something to warm up tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just that, your heart. So we know through the sciences that there is a buildup to getting to like a heart rate for like for runners. It's like you get a ramp up until you're in a steady state. But also what we're trying to do is warm up, you know, get some blood flow to the area, which in essence will warm up collagen tissues, make them ready for load. It shouldn't take long. You know, I'm thinking most, I could probably get a patient warmed up for leg day in five minutes. That's- if they know what to do, it's like, go do this, get your joints moving, get your blood flowing, get your heart rate up, get the mind spiked for, uh, releasing some chemicals to get you, you know, a little bit of uh, endocrine release to get you ready for exercise. If you're going up for 30 minutes, you're not efficient with your time. I mean, some, I've seen people here at the gym. They'll make a workout that should last 45 minutes, take four hours. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's something to be said therapeutically about being around like-minded people who have the same thing focused and they drive you. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's their life. Okay. But I, I can get a full body workout in 45 minutes and I can get anyway there. We're going to be moving. 100%. You're gonna get you're gonna get some cardio, and I guarantee that. Yep. And we're not gonna stop moving, but you can get done quick. I mean, it doesn't. I think it has to be to all fill. I mean, you need someone to show you what to do because mm-hmm. you know you don't know what to do until you know what to do. So having a coach or someone give you a warm up, and there's great evidence. There's great evidence. There's great resources on Facebook or uh, YouTube. It's like you go on YouTube and type in dynamic lower extremity warm up. Uh, the search will be full. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of them. It can be sport specific though. I mean, if, if we're looking, watch pre warm ups at like NFL and stuff, you'll see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's for that sport. Uh, if I have someone that's a um, arm wrestler to be a different dynamic warm up. Oh, yeah, I should hope so. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're typically right. some of the best warm ups are the ones that mimic the movement that you're going to be doing. Absolutely. You're priming, it. You're priming the joint for movement. I primed a lot more before I pull start it. Um, you are basically making sure that whatever that body part is, that the tissues are are able to be like, you know, primed, warmed up, but also you're going through full ranges. Exactly. So if you're going to do a squat, you might want to work on something with the hip. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to work on a squat that includes two feet on the ground, you might want to make sure you have that, that dynamic movement in the ankle joint ready to go. And these are big movements. I mean, these aren't like they're, they're static uh, movements where you're not moving the whole body when you're dynamic warm-up. I'm a big fan of dynamic warm-ups. Oh, yeah. The research supports it. If the research changes, I'll change. So this one, uh, this one's kind of specific. So if you can't answer it, I understand. Um, Most likely. Someone said, uh, so I actually know the situation. Okay. Uh, So they were at a powerlifting meet. They went down for a squat. Their knee's been bothering him. 
um, ever since. But oddly enough, when if they do a knee a squat, but they're on their toes, their knees don't hurt. Like if they go forward onto their toes versus loading your heels. Um, so I, I, I don't what the heck's going on there? Yeah. Um, okay, so what's the what's the difference between being on your toes and being on your heel? I'd speculate you're loading down into that pattern different because of the ankle. So it's like, okay, well, what the heck's going on here? Uh, why is the ankle doing this? You're going to look at that squat form and go, what are you doing different at the joint, whether you're having more of an anterior weight shift? And it sounds like you're pushing the bar forward over your over your knees more toward your toes, and that for some reason is making that joint tolerate that loading pattern of flexion. Okay, so as a physical therapist, I'd have the patient come down and say, oh, show me. Show me, show me, take, uh, take me to Missouri, the show me state. Show me what hurts. That's the best way to figure something out if I can replicate it. And then you go about going, all right, well, the weight's being pushed through your foot, so we can either look at the foot up or the leg down. Always look at the leg as an appendage. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just my knee. There's That's a connection point between my hip and my ankle. And usually, knees are having issues because something around it. It's a concept we refer to as regional interdependence. Don't just look at that, look elsewhere. You know, if you're, <laughs> I had a young therapist I'm, I'm, I'm uh, mentoring and we're talking the case over and they couldn't get the, it was, I think it was a knee. Um, they couldn't get the, the patient response. The baseline of, <coughs> excuse me, whatever they're having trouble doing, they couldn't do it. I go, what are you doing? And for like three visits in a row, they're doing the same thing. I go, what the hell are you doing? I go, do the same thing, expect a different outcome is a definition of insanity. You've thoroughly ruled it out. Where are we going? Up or down? Where are we going? Let's look elsewhere. What else can explain this? I'll be curious on that. I'd be curious on all those things and going, all right, why isn't he doing this? Is it the knee doesn't want to move fully? Okay, well, let's assess it and recheck re your squat. I'm going to go to the ankle. But sorry, I'm taking some water. There's some cough again. <clears throat> the bigger issue is why. Why can't you do that? That's a complicated question. And most people aren't going to be able to answer on their own. I've had extensive training. I still don't know everything. I still have mentors I ask. I have mentors I'll reach out in different states going, this ain't making sense. Can I run this by you? And usually they've seen something on the way to help you. But you got to look on why. Why is it that one knee doing it, but not the other? There's something there. Whether there's an injury in the tissue level, then maybe it's inflammatory. It needs backed off and we need to uh, give it what I call relative rest. You never rest anything completely. Even after open heart surgery, they have you up walking that day. I've done it with patients as a student. It needs to be strained, stressed accordingly. Because mm -hmm. you have to, you, again, you have to stress it to make it adapt. But is there something in their movement pattern they're off? Is the ankle not moving? Is the knee not able to get full in-range extension, which will cause in-range flexion problems? Because we've now made that knee not move accordingly in all directions. There's a lot there. But it, it can simply be, well, it can, it can be a lot of things. Yeah. It really, you wouldn't know until you start breaking it down, going region by region, going, I have a baseline of squat. Let me see how everything else moves independently. I think it's this knee and this thing. I do whatever the intervention was there. Mostly movement intervention. I mean, I don't, I don't do passive treatments. Like I, I'm moving a patient. You're gonna move. We're gonna understand this thing. Mm -hmm. If it's problem movement, it's a movement problem. And see if I can change that baseline. And if I can change that baseline, so say he couldn't squat on his heels, and I speculated, hey, it's, it's the ankle dorsiflexion. You only have 25 degrees on the right. You got 35 on the left. You are unbalanced. You're more than five degrees off left or right. We got a problem. Let's clear that dorsiflexion. Let's do this. Retest that squat. Well, that's better. Well, I got an issue here for sure. Let's fix this. Loaded question, but that's that's how I would do that. Yeah, I uh, I figured that one was going to be kind of. Uh, you know, you know, I hate when school and the professors say it, it depends. I'm like, human movement is very complicated. That's why you have to find a system, assist, ugh, assessment system, meaning 
a tool for assessing human movement that makes it easy, mm-hmm. easier to comprehend. If you look at a squat, and a patient goes, what's happening during a squat? I'm going, oh my God, which tissue are we starting at? Are we starting on the barbell on the neck and what that's going to do with the thoracic spine? Or what is going to do with the cervical spine being protruded? What's going to happen with the force going down the spine into the hips and how that's going to be transli- transitioned through the sacroiliac joints? I mean, it's very complicated. But if you find a system that tells you how to break it down, you get your answer faster. So long story short is go talk to Joey. Uh, and on that note... Um, if someone were to want to get more specific answers from you, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Um, Joe at valley.rehab is my work email. I'm, I'm, I always have my email up so I can answer questions there. Um, also, uh, a website, valley. Um, valley.rehab, no.com, just valley.rehab. You'll find our website. Um, also, phone number. So a lot of people like communicating over phones. 812-645-7100. Um, we can give advice, but I cannot give medical advice to anybody outside the state of Indiana because my license only lets me work in Indiana. So if you're in Illinois, I can speculate over the phone, but I can't treat you. Um, we'd be happy to answer any questions. A lot of times I find patients, especially patients who are active are kind of hesitant to medicine because they've either had a bad experience or, you know, in physical therapy, they've been sold something, you know, I hate that. I figured, just figure the patient's problem out, get in their answer, help them through that, and you'll sell enough. You don't need to sell any more things or gadgets to people. Well, awesome. Do you have uh, anything else that you'd like to cover before we wrap this up? Nope. I'd be happy to come back and do any other body part. I mean, I've been doing this long enough to know enough and, and know what I don't know. So any answers I can give, I will. If not, I'll just say, I don't know. But uh, we can make this a regular thing, a quarterly thing, a monthly thing. I really don't care. I like to help people get good information. That way they have informed decision making. Awesome. Well, on that note, then, if there's something else you'd like to hear on this podcast, rather be shoulder health, uh, back health, all those fun things that if we it ask moves. all the time. If it moves, I, know, I mean, toes to jaw, everything in between. Oh, I have noticed that uh, my chewing skills have gone down. I need to get better at chewing. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, feel free to reach out to Joey for any problems you have or to me if you want to get a hold of Joey. Uh, we will be seeing more from him in the future, and I really appreciate it. But until next time, stay dedicated. See you, everyone.